The great way that the Lord draws us near is by his word and by his spirit. And so that's what we get to do as a congregation today as we go to his word together. So let's pray uh, that the Lord would teach us. Father, we're grateful that you're not a, a God or a dad that's far away. You have done the work necessary through Jesus to make it possible for us to come near and to actually uh, be right there in your lap and to listen to you, to respond to you, to worship you. And so, Father, today, would you teach us by your word? Would your spirit please do a work in us that we can't do ourselves? Uh, Lord, I pray that you would um, just guide my heart, and my mind and my lips to only speak what you've ordained for today. Lord, I pray that that you would just do what you do through your word, your powerful word, because it tells the truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we're in Second Peter chapter three, so you can turn in your Bibles there. We've been looking at Peter. Peter has been establishing most of the book. He's been using it to establish the fact that that the prophets and the apostles, the scriptures spoke the truth. These aren't things that are made up. They just didn't come up with a, their own dreams and visions and write down things that were good stories, good to listen to, make us feel good. It was the truth from God that they gave. And then he gives warning to people who would come and tell lies, false prophets, false teachers, that they do it for selfish gain, that following them will lead to destruction and God's judgment. So he says, God's given you the truth. Follow the truth. Don't follow lies. Don't follow lies. One of the things that he's now addressing, the reason he brings it up is because God wants us to not only know the past with what he's done, all that's led up to Jesus his dying on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, the start of the church, all that he's done by the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know the things that have happened in the past, but he also wants us in the present to acknowledge that there is going to come a day when Jesus will return. Before Jesus first coming, people expected the Messiah. They looked forward. It would have been prophesied and it came. And in the same way, there is another day that he is coming back again, whereby he will destroy his enemies and rescue his people. Now, throughout the scripture, this is known as the day of the Lord. And Peter has begun to speak about that, that the day of the Lord, he told us earlier in chapter three, will come like a thief in the night. You don't know when it's going to come, but you can be sure that it's coming. He says people will scoff at the fact that you say that. When you say, I believe that Jesus is coming back, there, there will be people who will say, he's not coming back. If he was coming back, he would have already come. Why is he taking so long? But Peter has said the reason that he is taking so long, why he's slow, isn't because of the slowness that, that we think slowness is. It's actually his patience. He's patiently waiting so that there could be more people that he can save because God is love and God is the redeemer. And God is the one who wants to rescue us and to take us into eternity, not with disaster and destruction, but with hope and with life. So that day is coming. We're not to scoff on it. We're not supposed to doubt it. We're to believe it. And so the scriptures in that truth. All through the scriptures talk of the day of the Lord that it's coming. And so that's where Peter is taking us again. He's really saying, hey, are you ready? He's coming. Are you ready? And in verse 11 of chapter three. He continues on and says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. 
previously uh, this Peter has said, hey, this is what the Lord's going to do on the day of the Lord. He's going to come back with judgment. And the things that you and I can see, touch, feel, examine, scientifically experiment on, these things are all going away. You can look at a tele- through a telescope at the moon and the stars and constellations and comets and even satellites now as they go overhead. And every one of those things are going to be destroyed. You can go to the depths of the sea. You could swim around with your snorkel or whatever you want to. You could see fish and reefs and all those things. It will be gone. You could walk around on this earth. You could see pine trees. You can go hunt deer. You could see all those things. Everything that you see and know on this world and in the heavens and earth will be destroyed. In the past, back with the flood, we saw that it was destroyed with water. But God promised he would never destroy the earth again by water. So he has promised that this time it'll be destroyed by fire, that everything will be melted, that it will be utterly destroyed by fire. And so Peter said there, he said, since we know that this is going to happen, since we know that all this is going to be dissolved, that it's going to be consumed, that it'll be burnt up, then what sort of people ought we to be living lives of holiness and godliness? A lot of times Christians, once we know that, hey, Jesus is coming back, most of the time what you hear are arguments about how that's going to happen. Are you a pre-trib or post-trib? Pre-millennial, post-millennial. You have all these words that people begin to identify of when and how and what. And, 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 and the scriptures, they're not trying to get us to figure out exactly the twists and the turns, even though those signs and evidences are there about how it's going to work. But the goal is this. God wants us to know what will happen in the future so it'll affect how you live today. And so Peter says, if you know that that's coming, we don't know the day, we don't know the timing, but if you know that's going to happen, how is that to affect your lives now in holiness and godliness? Now, those words can be tricky. Because when you get the words like holiness and godliness, it sounds like being a rule follower. It sounds like we should have a list of all these things that we should do. And since we know the end is coming, then let me get out my list of all the things that I need to do before that day. It's a lot like the things that we do nowadays. Uh, We've got a trip coming. We've got a checklist of things we've got to do before the trip, right? Um, and, And that's just not how our Christianity is. When you talk about holiness, it's this. Holiness means you're set apart, just like God's set apart. And so... Your holiness isn't something where you're going through a checklist, making sure you got everything right. Holiness is being set apart from the world, setting apart, set apart from your sin and drawing near to Jesus. We just sang the hymn, draw me near, draw me near. That's what holiness is, is not being with the world in our sin and being drawn near to Jesus. Where we get this wrong is we say, well, here's my checklist of things I can do and can't do. So let's take a, uh, for instance, something that we can't do. Somebody throw me, what's something that we're not supposed to do that we would put on our checklist? Anybody got something? What do you got? Okay, we're not supposed to steal. We're not supposed to steal. So let's draw that line. If I draw this line right here in this new carpet, there's my line. Okay, and we say that is stealing. That right there, if I do that, that's crossing the line. What we do with our rules, when we put that as a rule thing, we'll say, yeah, but how close can I get to the line of stealing, right? What if it's just borrowing for a really long time? You know, we begin to kind of shape in our mind how close we can get to that line, even maybe put our foot and kind of hold it over the line just a little bit, as long as we don't fall over the line, right? So, so we, because we're like that, we try to get almost as close as we can to sin without sinning. But holiness is something different. 
Holiness is to be completely separated. And, and it's not about whether you're on this side of the line or that. If you're near to Jesus, you won't be anywhere near that line. Right. If, you, if you're if you're in that relationship, you're not going to be worried about the rules. You're going to be so infatuated with Jesus that 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 doesn't come into question. That you're not worried about the, the gray areas. You're just worried about Jesus. What do you want me to do? And so that's what it's talking about with holiness. It's I'm not going to be that close to the world. I'm not going to be that close to my sin. I'm going to be so devoted to Jesus that that my life is going to be about him. And it's going to keep us from doing. We shouldn't steal, should we? God said, do not steal. The only way to not steal is to be near to Jesus. Why? Because in first Corinthians chapter one, it says this, that Jesus is your holiness, that he is your righteousness. Your holiness isn't all the things you do or don't do. Your holiness is Jesus. And so when he comes and he lives inside of you, that's your holiness, that you're drawing near to him. And he'll keep you from doing the things that you should not be doing. And he'll keep you doing the things that you should do. And so sometimes when we get to holiness and godliness, sometimes we bring it into more of a religious thing where we think, well, if, if I'm to be living a life of holiness, then I need to make sure I'm at church every week. Or I need to make sure that I'm, I signed up to help out at VBS or I've gotten to camp or what, have I done everything? And you know what? That really bogs us down. It's good to come to church. It's good to help out at VBS. It is great the opportunities we have this extension at camp to send kids and work at and to help out because Christ is being made known there. But those things to be our checklist and to determine whether we're holy or not, that's wrong. Holiness is. Am I attached to you in my heart, Jesus? If I am, he's going to guide us into all those things and make sure that we're we're a part of the community of Christ rightly. If we don't, then what happens is we step in and when we come to church, then we're policing everybody, making sure they're doing all the do's and don'ts. Right. But if if we're actually in holiness and we're with Jesus, then we come to church and we say, hey, how's it going your relationship with Jesus? And that'll affect what people do. Right. And so this is what he says is if, if, if Jesus is coming back, if if things will be dissolved and destroyed, then it's not for you to suddenly pull out your list of things to do or not to do. It says then your life is going to be demonstrated by the fact that you're drawing even closer to Jesus. You're longing for him. You want him in your life. And it says here, because for sure. You're waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God. One of the characteristics of your holiness and your godliness isn't that you become more religious. It's that as you draw near to Jesus, as his spirit's in you, you can't wait for the day you set eyes on him. We talk about that day of the Lord. And on that day of the Lord, he is going to come. And he is going to destroy his enemies. He's going to just take this world out by fire. It's going to melt. He will destroy his enemies. That is, that is a part of the day of the Lord. But the other reverse side of the day of the Lord is this. For those people who are his, he's coming back to get them. If he has rescued you and he's forgiven you and you're part of his family, part of his kingdom. And on that day, instead of being destroyed like everything else, you will be rescued unto salvation for eternity with Jesus. And so you are here. It says waiting. You are you were you are longing. You are uh, you want that day. And it says here hastening on. Now, that can be confusing. How do you how do you hasten on the day of the Lord? Now, that's been confused sometimes. Um, some people have thought, well, if I do certain things, then that'll make Jesus come back faster. And that's not what it's talking about. It's 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 this urgent feeling like I can't wait till it's here. So so let's put into play some other times that that's happened. 
Um, kids, when it gets to be about December 1st, oh man, we'll even back it up to like the day after Thanksgiving. What day are you waiting for? Christmas Day. That was fast, buddy. And that's, so that's what happens. You, you get to that time and then suddenly it's like, there's Christmas Day. And you, you can't, it just ramps up and you're so given over. Like, I cannot wait till that day comes. I cannot wait till that day comes because there's a lot of joy that's bound up in that day. There's, there's going to be great holiday food and there's probably going to be presents from a big fat man in a red suit sitting under the tree. Those types of things. So we are geared up for that day, right? There, there is something coming. And, and there's all of, our, all of our mentality, our spirit, we're like, I am, I am, I'm hastening that day. That's what it's referring to is that longing for. So maybe you're not into the Christmas thing. Maybe that's not your thing, but think about um, a wedding day. Now, there's a lot to do to get ready for a wedding. You might have checklists and, you know, brides have their binders full of what the flowers are going to look like and what the food's going to taste like and all this and, and what the dress should be. Now, those are things to do. But in the hearts of the bride and the groom, I mean, they cannot wait for that day. They are hastening that day in the hearts and that day when they will stand before one another and there will be this marriage, this unity between bride and groom. And that's the hastening that the scripture is talking about, that there is our groom and he is coming back. And so we are hastening that day. We, we cannot wait for the day when we as the bride will stand with the groom. Oh, and we will be united. We will be with him. And Jesus says as much in John chapter 14 when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also me. And he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He talks about preparing a place in his father's house and that he's going to come back and take us to himself and to go live in that place. Do you know the imagery that's being used right there? Marriage. He was taking the Jewish concept of marriage where the groom would go away and prepare a place at the father's house and then come back. And the, the bride didn't know when, but the groom would be coming back and he would come and he would take up his bride on that wedding day and take her to live. At the place that he had prepared. And so Jesus said, we long for that day. You should you should long for the day of the Lord more than you long for Christmas Day. You should long for the day of the Lord more than you long for your own wedding day. You should long for the day of the Lord before you, uh, more than you long for when your vacation starts. You should, you should, even though those are, we, we understand those things, we are waiting and hastening the day of the Lord because it says that on that day, yes, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies uh, or the elements of the earth, everything will melt as they burn. But this is the great part in verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So there's the hard part. I mean, things are going to be destroyed. Uh, my wife, Katie, she makes great food. And she made these great fajitas the other day. Her, her, she's got lots of secrets, but, but the great secret is this. You throw it into a crock pot and it slow cooks for a while. And it just absorbs all that flavor. It's good. It's slow cook. Any, any of you use slow cookers? They're excellent. They're good. They can turn out good food. Guess what? The day of the Lord will not be like that. It's not going to be a slow cooker. You know what it's going to be like? 
It's going to be like that marshmallow you put on the end of a stick and you put it down near the coals and then it lights on fire. And it's not going to be one where you can take it off and put it in your mouth. It's delicious. The day the Lord is going to be all consuming. It's going to take the world and the heavens and everything like a like a marshmallow. And just it's going to be gone. And if we were to look at that and say, where did it all go? We could get disheartened. We could be like Lot's wife turning around and saying, well, where's my house and my china and everything? Where's my family? Where's everything else back there? We could get so disturbed by the fact that that's all going away that we would miss the great promise of God. Because here in verse 13, it said, but according to his promises, we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus promises that while all this is going away, that there is going to be new physical places. There's going to be new heavens. There's going to be, I don't know what he's going to make. Is he going to do stars again? Are they going to be in different constellations, new, uh, different colors? I don't know what he's going to do. Is there going to be uh, mountains again, rainbows, uh, apple trees? I don't know. Maybe he's got something better, but they're going to be new. It's not going to be recycled. He's going to have a new heavens and a new earth. He's promised that we will live with him. Some people get caught up with a street of gold and mansions. Don't do that. In fact, don't even get caught up with the part about the new heavens and the new earth. I'm I'm sure they will be great to explore because we'll have all of eternity to do it. But you know what we will be searching for all our days for eternity on the new heaven and the new earth? Jesus. The one that we waited for will have brought us back and taken us to a place where there's no sorrow, no sickness, no death. It'll be perfect. And we will, I think we'll trail him as much as possible. If we're over here working, we'll keep our eyes on him just like we're supposed to be doing now. But we won't be able to get enough of him because he is so good and he's so great that he's preparing a place in the sanctuary of a new heavens and a new earth that we can do nothing but see how awesome he has been and is and forever will be. And we will be with him. And so he says, hey, remember that he's promised. According to that promise, he is making a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that's really key. Because as much as we might be fooled. By this world and. How sweet candy tastes and how good driving fast cars is and how beautiful the fireworks are. This world is full of unrighteousness. This world is full of sin. And I see heads nod. And I hear people say amen. But we have to know this. When we say that unrighteousness dwells in this world, it's not as if it's out lurking on its own in a forest or it's somehow um, off yonder where we can go find unrighteousness somewhere else. The unrighteousness that dwells on the earth right now is in our chest. It's in our mind. It's in our bodies. The reason there's unrighteousness in this world is because we are We've sinned. That we turn away from the Lord, that that we forget how beautiful he is, that we forget how good he's been to save us. And we turn away and we scramble to all this other stuff in this world. The reason that there's unrighteousness is because that we have sought out unrighteousness. We're wicked. And it blows my mind. That on the day of the Lord. He has assured us and promised us he is making a new heavens and a new earth where the scripture also says that you will have a new body. And it says in that body, you will have no 
unrighteousness. That all the sin that you love to do now will be gone. And that you will dwell in a place where righteousness dwells. And in that place of righteousness where you no longer have sin, we have a king that's going to have everything in order. He's not going to allow Satan. He's not going to allow sin. He's not going to allow death in that place anymore because this says there's, there's going to be righteousness dwelling. That's it. There's a passage of scripture back in Isaiah. We know it well because it, it speaks Christmas and and Christmas and also the next coming of the Lord have a lot in common. So we're going to finish with some of these images, but you'll, you'll know this passage. It says this for to us, a child is born to us. A son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So it's talking about this forever kingdom. And he says this on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. So that said in this Christmas passage that God has this zeal. He has this urgent urgency. He has this hastening for that day that will come when he will reveal a kingdom full of righteousness and justice. There are protests and riots and newspaper columns and all kinds of things pleading today for justice. Some of you in your life, you've sought out whether something in the world or just in a relationship, I need justice. That day there will be complete because that's where righteousness dwells. And so. Peter is having us examine our lives and saying. If that day is coming. Shouldn't we have lives. Of holiness and godliness. Shouldn't we have these lives that are waiting for and hastening on the day that's coming? Here's what he did not say. He didn't say, since that day is coming, shouldn't we have moments? Shouldn't we have moments of holiness? Moments of godliness? Moments when we desire us come back? No. He said that should be our life. It should consume us. And he's all we want. And he's given us. His Holy Spirit and his word and the fellowship of believers in this world. But one day the day of the Lord is coming and we will see him in full. And so he says, live now like he's all consuming. Live now like he's everything. Live now as if he's in your chest. Because he is. It's not a moment to moment thing. He should he should be steering every direction of our life. And so part of that comes in this this response. If we know that he is so good and what he's done, then then we establish on a day by day basis. Today, I'm going to live for Jesus and tomorrow I'm going to live for Jesus. And and when we do that, that immediate response is what we call worship. And if the Lord is calling to you, hey, I've, I've told you my promises and I'm coming, then this is a moment for you to say, OK, Lord, help me to be devoted again. Help me to help me to live in holiness, not because I'm checking off a list of duties, but because I get to live for you. I get to not steal. I get to not get caught up in the world because that's better for me. And so this is a good opportunity for us to just respond in these ways. And the Lord really says, hey, because that day is coming, you can trust me. You can 
You can just rely on my promises. So we're, we're going to come into some songs that kind of talk about that, that talk about we, we need to be founding our faith on the Lord, trusting in him. And also this. The very last chapter of the Bible. We again see the urgency of the Lord, that, that hastening, that desire for the Lord to come back. And John is writing in the book of Revelation. And the Holy Spirit collectively with the bride of Christ, the church, he says, say this, it says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And then it goes on in verse 20 and says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. So John responds and says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. A large part of our worship is just this utter response of us together with the Holy Spirit saying, Lord, come, Lord, come. Our king is coming and that's a good thing. So let's let's go to the Lord this morning in some song. If you would, let's stand together as we pray and take an opportunity to just love the Lord and. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that while we get caught up in the temporary, that you have eyes on the, the past, the present and the future. That you have done everything necessary to save us by sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. And you have desired that we would not revert back to a life of. Of unrighteousness, but you call us into this kingdom of righteousness pray that we would continue to keep our eyes on you and desire you and desire your coming. We pray, Lord, that that would lead us into uh, song. We pray that that would lead us into uh, appropriate fellowship. That, that would lead us into a desire to tell others in our community about Jesus. Uh, we pray that it would keep us from sins, things that you've told us to do and not to do uh, because you're with us and we're drawn to you more than our own flesh. And so, Lord, we lift up our voices right now to give you thanks. And to continue to remind us in Jesus' name.